Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Tonight's scripture reading is Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Our sermon for tonight is, is one that is, in my mind, to help us launch into this week. I like to do that on Sunday nights. And, and this, one, this is going to be a simple sermon, and I'm not going to preach a long time. But I hope it's something that will help you. This is something I want you to pray. It's something that I want to challenge you to take and use in your prayers from, from here on out. I suppose if we had a day to think and reflect over our lives just before we leave this world, and sometimes that happens. Sometimes a person is lucid right up until the time that he leaves. I can imagine the things that I would pray about that I would be thankful for. What goes through your mind? What would you be thankful for? What would you say to him? I'm thankful for it. Of course, you think about the day that you were baptized and your sins were washed away by the blood of the Lamb. You'd think about that. You'd, You'd thank him for that. And perhaps you would thank him for godly parents, and you would thank him for influences. If you think about Manasseh, about whom I preached this morning, what do you suppose he prayed about when the end of life came? He'd been back to Jerusalem for 20 years, and if you didn't hear that sermon, it's recorded, you can check it on the the archives, but 20 years he'd been back after he'd lived so wickedly and repented and God had forgiven him. But there was that 12-year gap there between when he was terribly wicked and he was righteous, 12-year gap when he was in exile. And what do you think, what do you think he would pray about if reflecting upon his life just before he died? And I I can assure you, he'd, he'd thank God for those 12 years. Now, it was miserable. He was penniless. He was flat out, and, and he had no power, no influence. The king was nothing. And it was, it was under those circumstances, though, that he woke up. Now, the way that the apostle Paul was talked to by Jesus in Acts 9 at his conversion, of course, he wasn't Paul yet. He was, he was still called Saul. And on the road to Damascus, Saul sees a bright light, and you remember how that comes about. And Jesus sends him into the city of Damascus, and he goes to Ananias, and he is baptized. But there's this phrase that was read in your hearing just, just a moment ago. And Jesus did it this way. He said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, a goad, and you may already know this, but a goad was something that was used with a, a beast of burden, a, a, a carriage or a buggy or a buckboard, and you have a, an ox or a donkey or a horse that's pulling that thing, and a goad was a stick with a sharp end on it, sometimes a piece of metal that would be sharp. 
the Greek word really means sting. It's a sting. And so that thing, that, that uh, animal would be hesitant to buck after he got that sting two or three times. And you wouldn't keep, he wouldn't keep kicking against it because he doesn't like that. And that's a goad. And Jesus used this analogy for Saul and said, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. What does that mean? And it has to mean that there were things inside of Saul that he knew to be true, but that he was pushing back on. He was suppressing those things. Now, the, the scripture in Acts 9 doesn't give you a list of what those were. I think that I think we can make a pretty educated guess about it, though. And, and so uh, we, we would start, for example, in Matthew chapter 28, in the resurrection of Jesus. Now, remember that Saul is a Pharisee, and he's a, he's a, he's a what ha- what's happening kind of guy. He's, he's got influence among the Jews and the Jewish leaders. And do you suppose that he learned about what happened? Now, the, the, the chief priests have already done all they can do to try to destroy Jesus. So you have this the mock trial, you have this illegal trial, you have the, the arrest of Jesus, you have him sent to Pilate, and the lies that are told there, and all the bad stuff, and ultimately crucifixion. And when you get into Matthew chapter 28 on that Sunday morning, you have Jesus rising from the dead, but who's there? Well, among the others, you got, you got, the, you got the temple guards, and they watch, and they see Jesus resurrected from the dead. And they go back to the chief priest and they say, this man's for real. I mean, what we saw was we saw Jesus rising from the dead. And what was their response? They said, you know what, you can't tell anybody this. And and in fact, what you've got to tell people when they ask about this is that the disciples of Jesus came and stole the body away. And we'll pay you money. That's what they did. Money, that's nice, right? All you have to do is sell your integrity, and that's what they did. And in fact, they added this, if you will do this, now if you get in trouble with the governor, don't you worry about it because we'll cover you. We got your back. Just lie. Just say that the disciples came. My question is, do you suppose that, that at some point this important Pharisee, Saul, might have heard the real skinny on that? That he might have really heard, I mean, heard what really happened on that occasion? And if he did, imagine that goad. I mean, that reputable people, people who were working for the chief priests, why would they lie about this? They came back and they said Jesus was for real. I think that would be a goad. But if you go to, go to the book of Acts, let's walk through the, the early days of the church and we start in chapter 3. And remember, Peter and John uh, healed this lame man. And everybody's watching and you have chapter 3 and verse 6. Peter said, Silver and gold I don't have you, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. You think the miracles of these early Christians came to the ears of Saul? Now remember, it's Acts chapter 9, and we're in Acts chapter 3 right now, but it's Acts 9 where he's going to be on the road to Damascus, and he's going to hear these words. Uh, It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So did Saul know about these miracles that were being performed by these Christians? And 
and know that the people telling him these things were reputable? And you reckon that would bother you if you were participating in the persecution, even the execution of Christians? Would that bother you when you heard these things? Turn to chapter 4, continue the same thought. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, Peter and John, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. I do not know how Saul didn't hear about the the healing of this lame man. How could he not hear about it? You reckon that was a goad? Later on, Jesus said it's hard for you to kick against the goad. You suppose that was what he was talking about? Go to chapter 5. Look at verse 34. I think Gamaliel would be one of these. Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a teacher of the law. And, and in chapter 23 of Acts, Saul is going to reflect on this, and he's going to say he was raised at the feet of Gamaliel. I reckon all the Jews would have been impressed with that. But Gamaliel was a thinking man. He was, he, he was a critical thinker. Then one of the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, commanded them to put the apostles aside for a little while. He said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered, and it came to nothing. After this, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men, these apostles. Peter and John, let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it's of God, you can't overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I repeat... You think there's any chance that Saul doesn't hear about this? That he never hears about what happened here? And that Gamaliel was the one who quieted that crowd? And that Gamaliel was his teacher who he respected? Hard for you to kick against the goads. You reckon that Gamaliel, the influence of Gamaliel wasn't an impression on him when he thought about the way that Gamaliel thought and spoke and how he acted on occasions such as this. One more. How about Acts chapter 7? Just turn the page to chapter 7. And here is the stoning of Stephen. And here is Saul there, and he holds the garments of them who are stoning this godly man. And when we get to to verse 54, let's take up there, 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Stephen is telling them about Jesus through the Old Testament, bringing them to Christ. They gnashed at him with their teeth, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord, cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said, said this, he fell asleep. I don't know about you, but I think if I was Saul, it would be hard on that occasion not to throw up my hands and call it a day. I, I'm, you know, he was young and he was helping out. He wanted to, he was an aspiring man of the Jews. And wouldn't you want to just throw up your hands and say, no, look, this is, you know what? This, this man's not a bad man. We just stoned a man who prayed for you while you were killing him. These Christians are different. I don't, I don't want to be any part of this. <clears throat> Did he see something in Stephen that would give him pause later on so that Jesus would say to him, it's really hard for you to kick against the goads. What were his goads? And I expect they were these. Now, let's bring it down to us. I can't make your list for you. I can make one for me. And if I had just a day to go, I, I, would, I would thank him for many, many things. And I believe that I would thank him for the occasions when I might have gone off the rails. Like Asaph in Psalm 73, I might have left my faith, but I did not do it. Because it was, are you ready for this? Because it was too hard to kick against the goads. It was too painful for me. And where did they come from? What are your goads? And the point of this sermon is that this week I want you to thank God for them. I want you to make a list in your mind. And go down that list and say thank you for these things that are in my life right now that keep me from coming off the rails. What are they? Number one, I would, I would say my devoted spouse. Now, this is not true about everybody in this room. I know that. But for, for some of us, many of us, we're married to somebody who loves Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 5 and 21, just before you launch in 22 to... Paul's discussion about husbands and wives. He says in 21 that you ought to submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, it's hard to tell. It looks to me like that that passage refers to the church itself and to all the Christians, and we submit to one another. And yet, it's right up against husbands and wives, and I believe it's applicable to them too. If you have a Christian husband or a Christian wife, there's a sense in which we submit to one another in the fear of God. It's easier for two people to get to heaven than one. And, and what happens in my life and Cindy's life and hopefully in your life, if you are married, is that we encourage one another. You're not going to get very far in my house saying, I don't think we'll go to worship this evening. Of course, I'm the preacher. I know that. That's something too. But uh, if one of us indicates that there may be a wrong direction to go, the other one's going to call it in check. Isn't that right? Isn't that how that is? Now, would you say that when that happens, it's hard to kick against the goads because you're going to encourage each other, and I want every one of you to marry a faithful Christian one day, even, even you boys. And it, it may be hard for you to find somebody, but I want you to, and I want it to be a faithful Christian. Be sure you do that for this very point. It's because that faithful Christian is going to help you go to heaven, and you're going to help him or her go to heaven too. I'm going to thank God for my goads, and one of them would be a spouse who will help me do the right thing. Here's the second one. My Gamaliels. You have Gamaliels in your life? Who are your Gamaliels? People who encouraged you to think right. 
I, 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 the funny thing about the Camellios is that in your life, the ones who influence you the most may already be dead, but they still influence you, don't they? Being dead yet speak. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, we have this great cloud of witnesses around us. These are people who are already deceased, but we still hear their voices. I can hear them. I can see their faces. And sometimes when I'm faced with a challenge, I know what that man would do, and he still influences me, though he's gone. And to go against that would be one of my goads. It would be hard for me to kick against what he taught me or what she taught me. Number three, accountability in the Christians around me. It's built into the system of Christianity that we hold each other accountable. And sometimes that doesn't even involve a confrontation. Sometimes it's just being in this room, and perhaps it's, it's even more true on Sunday nights than other times. I don't know. I know the, that you think about a lot of people who don't come on Sunday nights to worship, and here you are. Is this encouraging? I mean, look around you. People, people have other things they could be doing, but they came here. Not because they didn't have other things, but because they prioritized this time. And you know what it does? It encourages you, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And there's a sense of an accountability here in Galatians 6 and 1. If any of you be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. In the familiar Hebrews 10 and 25 about not forsaking the assembling, he said, but exhort one another. That word exhort is very interesting. It means to call to one side. It means what we do all the time in this room. It means you, you go up and you, you embrace one another, you shake hands with one another. How are you doing? And tell me about what's going on in your life. And it might sometimes mean to, to say something rather pointed. I, I don't think you should be doing that. Or I'm missing you in worship. Or are you, are you reading your Bible? Are you studying your Bible? Are you praying? The the, the times when we need to encourage and build one another up and we love each other enough that we can say the hard things. And and I tell you what happens is that if you're faithful to the assembly like you should be, and and you are, what happens is that that becomes kind of a goad if if you're thinking about going in a wrong direction because I have accountability in the church. I'm part of that family. Four, it's forcing myself to see the cross every Sunday. This, this past weekend, not, well, not yesterday, but a week behind yesterday, Tim Orbison and I were in, in Mississippi in a church there, and we did a seminar on that Saturday about pornography. So it was a, it was a men-only seminar, and we spent the whole morning talking about this sin and how, <clears throat> how it can be overcome. And one of the things that I talked about in one of my sessions was about Christians and who, who get wrapped up in this very common problem and, and that eating the Lord's Supper becomes a terrible challenge. Is that a true statement? And it doesn't have to be this sin. But I suppose any sin that we sort of give ourselves over to and we get involved in it. And then eating the Lord's Supper, I mean, no, I, I, think that, I think those guys that want so badly to get rid of the pornography, they just sort of choke on the Lord's Supper. You, you portray the Lord's death and you portray his, portray his suffering in your imagination and then you know that he did that so you could be redeemed and then you think, yeah, but I'm not living it. I am not living it because I'm involved in whatever it happens to be. And 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight twenty eight says, let a man examine himself. And I would suggest to you that the eating of the Lord's Supper 
every first day of the week, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16 2. Eating the Lord's Supper every week has a way of doing just what I'm talking about. And when it comes to last part of my life, and I know that I'm facing the transition time, I'm going to go to be with the Lord. I'm going to be thankful for all of these goads that helped me to stay faithful instead of falling away. It's sure the Lord's Supper is one of them because it keeps the cross in front of me and how much debt I owe to him for redemption. Here's the last one. Preaching. Preaching. It's a funny thing about sermons. I, I don't think that, that you, uh, those of you who have been here many years and you've heard me preach a thousand sermons, I doubt that you could recall specifically <clears throat> a large percentage of those. I, I doubt that. I'm not insulted by that. I probably couldn't either. But what my goal is, is that in preaching and in teaching, that I can build the goads of conscience. And so we talk about the Bible. We, we examine the scriptures. Every single week, we keep that going. What Romans 12 and 2 talks about, <clears throat> renewing the mind. That's what we're doing. And sermons about morality or about truth or about loving the scripture, about worship faithfully, about all sorts of ki- all kinds of... We do, we do character studies. Why do we do the character studies in the Bible? We do it for this very reason, so that we examine those things and we build these goads so that when I face similar problems... You can find yourself in the Bible, you know. In these characters, you find yourself... And it makes me want to do right. And that's, and that's the point. So, here's the sermon. Is that this week, I want, you to, I want you to think about what your goads are. What are your goads? What are the things in your life right now that, that you have that make you want to be faithful? I don't, I don't want to leave him. I never want to leave him. My commitment is to Jesus Christ. What are your goals? And then I want you to give thanks for them. And your, your list may be different. You may have additional things than what I put on mine. But I want you to give thanks for them. Because when it comes time to leave this world, and, and furthermore, when you get in that the judgment day and the trumpet blows, Matthew chapter 25, I don't know if you're going to have any time realizing to drink it in where you are before you're actually before the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know. But I can really imagine, if, if I do, that I would reflect on all the things that helped me be faithful. All the people and sermons and the Lord's Supper and all the things in my life that helped me not give up. There may be somebody here tonight who's not a Christian. I hope you'll become a Christian. If you need to study the Word of God, I'll be happy to study with you. Many of us would. To show you the way through Scripture, how you can obey the gospel and be right with God. Forgiveness is a wonderful word. And tonight, if you're ready, you want, to, you want to be baptized, immersed in water to have your sins forgiven. We'll be so happy to baptize you. Or if you need the prayers of the Christians, you know that we'd be happy to do that. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.